0: Kia ora, welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. Today, providing homes for Māori and Pacifica families. Could they end up sidelined in the government's housing plans? Traditionally, Māori and Pacifica families are larger, with more children and multi generational needs. With falling home ownership and lower than average incomes per head, private rentals are often out of reach for these communities, and there's not enough social housing to go around. As Eva Collette has been finding out, mainly one- to three-bedroom houses are tipped for construction under the government's latest housing announcement. So what future lies ahead for those with large families?
1: Auckland is the world's largest Polynesian city and host to the world's biggest Pacifica festival. Thousands of representatives from each island nation, including Aotearoa, come to perform, feast and relax over the weekend-long celebration. But for many of these revelers, this joyous weekend sits starkly against the day-to-day struggles Pacifica and Māori face in one of the most expensive cities in the world. Under the shade of a tree in Western Springs Park, two women are watching groups perform. They describe what it's like to live in this city.
0: It's so hard these days, especially when there's not, you know, I mean, it's such a small, crowded house, but it's so expensive. Yeah, I don't think it's good that they (laughs) put up the rent so high and can't afford it and everything. And they're so strict on, like how many people can actually stay at a like the big criteria? house, like, yeah, it's crazy. To be honest, it is hard to find housing, especially for big families who come from overseas as well.
1: Even the government's proposed affordable homes will cost between 500 dollars and $600,000. Still crushingly out of reach for this family sitting near the Tongan stage with their children. We pay our rent and we've literally got nothing left for anything else. Like we have to budget, you know, and especially with a new baby and stuff, it's quite hard. We live in Birkdale on the shore just because it's closer to his work. Um, and his family lives in South Auckland, so for babysitting or anything like that, you know, it's then you've got to think cost of petrol and all that kind of stuff, and then childcare on top of that. It's, yeah, it's expensive in Auckland, very expensive. The Mangere or Tahu area in South Auckland, or Little Tonga as it's nicknamed, acts like a roll call when it comes to ticking off broader household trends for Pacifica and Māori. The two communities make up three-quarters of the local community but less than half own their home and nearly half live in state housing. And many houses have two families living in them, three times the national average of five percent. Vaima'a Memea is a social worker at Cecilia Housing Trust. We're walking around the grounds of an emergency housing complex in Otahu
2: and the last one is a dad with two children. They'll be soon to be moving into one of our two bedrooms so we can put our larger families in. So they're four-bedroom, they have two sets of bunks and three of the rooms, and then mum and dad, of course.
1: Right, and typically how long do these families stay?
2: Well, it varies. You can get a family that moves in a week and then they get offered then you get the family that's been here for 10 months. (laughs) I don't know how the system works, but definitely, yes. So it's supposed to be a 12-week programme put in place for the families so we can get them ready in regards to sustaining their houses.
1: The small cul-de-sac is new and tidy, with grassed areas for children. Officers on site are telltale signs that these houses are not owned by those who live in them. It is quiet outside on this wet and windy day, but washing hanging from lines and shoes outside front doors are clues that lives go on within these temporary homes. My
3: two boys are sleeping in the other room, my two girls are sleeping in the other room, and my boy, my little one, Christian, is sleeping in the other room, while me and my two babies are
1: sleeping in the same room. That's Maria a solo stay-at-home mother to seven children aged between three and 17 years old. They've lived in the emergency housing for the past 10 months while searching for a home in Auckland. Originally from Samoa, Maria moved to New Zealand six years ago with her husband in search of better work opportunities and a good education for her children. Rent prices surged, so the family was forced to hunt for more affordable housing. They struggled to find anything adequate and moved in with a family friend. Then, when her husband started drinking heavily and became violent, they split. And now she faces looking for a house alone. I have tried to look for some private rental, but they didn't accept me and my
3: children. If I put down all my seven children, they wouldn't accept me. They said that um, our application has been declined so many times from the agents and landlords. They said that they wouldn't accept too many children in the house. It's so hard to get a house for me and my seven children.
1: In the past, the only way Maria could get a house was by lying about her situation. The house
3: that we used to stay in, whenever I didn't put down my all of my seven children, I only put down four. So they accept me. When it's time for my inspection, I rang up someone to come and pick up my little ones so that Talano wouldn't see my children inside
1: the house. She widened her search to include the city's outer areas in an attempt to find a house big enough and cheap enough for her family, but without luck. And there just isn't enough social housing to go around. For a solo parent on a benefit, the situation seems hopeless. There are a lot of families that stay in here. That, um, they're looking for
3: five bedrooms, like six bedrooms, seven bedrooms, and it's so hard to find.
1: They should build um, five bedrooms and upwards for the bigger family. Māori and Pacifica have some of the lowest home ownership rates in the country. But with private rentals often out of reach, many families resort to bunking in with others to share costs. This then puts the families at risk of being thrown out for breaching tenancy agreements and makes living conditions overcrowded and unhealthy. And when family isn't an option, people resort to sleeping in cars, garages and on the street. The 2013 census shows that two in five Pacific people and one in five Māori live in overcrowded housing, compared with one in 25 Pākehā. Housing New Zealand manages just over 8,000 houses with four bedrooms or more, out of around 63,000 homes in stock nationwide. When there aren't enough state houses available, families can try for emergency accommodation. If they get in, the accommodation offers comfort, but it also puts lives in limbo. The constant house hunting and instability leaves Maria exhausted. If we get a home from
3: Mount Tissisi, stay trying to find us a home from private rentals and house in New Zealand and I will be focusing on everything that I have been missed out of life, you know. I want to be like other families that they
1: go out with their children and do whatever they want. Maria's situation is not an unusual one. Cecilia Housing Trust, set up to help homeless families, housed 235 families last year and assisted 445 families with 919 children. A third of those have more than four children, and almost all of them are Pacifica or Māori. Monte Cecilia, like other housing groups around the country, is at capacity and has a wait list with up to 40 families. Waimaa Mamiya says that the situation is dire. You've
2: got large families going into the motels at the Payne. Two bedrooms have been charged, I mean, you know, two bedrooms, I think it's 3000 per week for a family in a motel. Then you've got the substandard boarding houses where they've only given one room um, and you've got mum and dad and up to six, seven children and then they'll say, well, you need an extra bedroom. The price keeps going up and where else are they going to go? I've seen it um, week in and week out. That's who we work with, families that are just on the go. Every week.
1: And what does that do to a person?
2: Oh, it breaks them. breaks their spirit. You see them walking in. You know, is the hope there? No, it's gone.
1: I'm Eva Corlett and you're listening to Insight and a programme on how to house large Maori and Pacifica families. Housing New Zealand uses guidelines imported from Canada to determine how many people can live in one room. The Canadian National Occupancy Standards determine room sharing based on the ages and gender of those living in them. A girl aged 11 and a boy aged 9 cannot share a room, for example, and there are two people to a room tops. The guidelines are there to prevent overcrowding, but those working in community housing say they're too restrictive and not culturally appropriate. Ms Memea says it can be the difference between a family getting a home or being forced into precarious living.
2: They'll look at three and four bedrooms and the landlord goes, how many children? And then they go, no way. And the landlord would say straight up, all the agent, no, you must go for a five and a six. The supply isn't there. Simple as that.
1: Up the road at Mangere Bridge is Te Pui Marae. It opened its doors to struggling families two years ago and was swamped.
4: These cabins, um, you know, they're self-sufficient really and they're comfortable for the families at least anyway and comes with chickens and hens.
1: What do the chicken and hens add?
4: (laughs) The kids love it. eh? It's home away from home for now until we can get them sorted out.
1: That's Moana Dennis, the marae's chair.
4: It's a lot for parents to turn up here. You know, they have to put their pride in their pockets. You know, not a lot of money, and this is all unfolding in front of their kids. So they've got to be mindful of those things too. But on a marae, it's, it's, I don't know what's the word, it's sort of not a big deal to us. And we make sure they know it's not a big deal. But we've got expectations that even though they're in this situation, they're still good parents.
1: The marae can host 25 families in private cabins and provides services to transition people into housing. Inside, Moana Dennis explains that housing larger families, often including extended farno, is the biggest challenge.
4: Married, them, you know, we're not the mum and dad, two kids, two cars, one dog, one cat, uh, and a lovely picket fence. We'll have mum and dad, their mum and dad, six kids, on some of my nephews and nieces. I reckon you won't find any Māori house where the garage has a car in it. Okay, it, it's just not going to happen. Our families have grown and will continue to grow, whether they're uh, the kids of the family or cousins and nephews. uh, That's just our way to Manaaki Tonga.
1: And the issues aren't just limited to Auckland.
5: I worked for uh, Wellington City Housing for about nine years, and before that I was housing New Zealand.
1: Porirua-based Rosie Gallen from the Salvation Army has had a long career in housing. She says families are facing unprecedented housing woes.
5: It is really significant right now. You can't understate the housing crisis. Uh, We get calls in Walkins all the time looking for housing for uh, people who have been told by their landlord that they need to find housing to some sort of crisis, uh, whether it's family separation, debt, existing complex situations, that kind of thing. And um, they're looking for affordable properties and there's just no supply. And particularly in the one and two bedroom uh, properties, and also the five, four and five. So it's, it's sort of you know the either side. Um, we certainly have an oversupply of three, if you like. That has tended to be the housing provision out here. You know when it was first built.
1: How do you think we balance that in terms of we're looking more towards things like medium density and high density housing? How do you incorporate? Say having a five-bedroom house within those types of concepts of housing.
5: Yes, you actually want a community that reflects the wider community, so that's you know a mixture of you know smaller and larger and in between. What well, of course you don't want to see is concentration of disadvantage um, because that you know doesn't provide opportunity or employment opportunity that kind of thing. Um, you know ability for a community to be sustained. But there's certainly a need for those um, larger homes.
1: Previous governments have tried to address issues of housing families. In 2002, during the fifth Labour government, Housing New Zealand employed Pacifica architects like Polisi Famuina to create design principles targeted at Pacifica housing needs.
6: To the back here, you know, I mean, I mean, this kind of thing, right? Bedrooms, big informal lounge, and then a formal lounge and a kitchen, and a double garage. You're never going to get that that nowadays, eh? You know, it'll be more likely to be two-level, you know, maybe a single garage... Uh, and then upstairs will be three double bedrooms. You know, that would be the typical kind of thing that you'd have now. That just isn't going to happen with regards to affordable social housing.
1: And while Mr Fomuena supports intensification, speaking to me one clear evening at his home office in Mount Albert, he says smaller homes could have cultural implications for families who are used to a more intergenerational style of living.
6: When you look at Auckland overall, and not just focusing on the Pacific community, you know the way they're they're going now in terms of trying to increase our housing stock, uh, intensify, which means that we need to build medium density or high density houses, smaller houses. You know, uh, it's a very European perspective to housing, uh, not suitable to Pacific people. But I understand why that's why, why that's happening. I'm actually not quite sure how we're going to resolve that.
1: Two weeks ago, next door to Mr Faumawina's house, the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and the Housing Minister Phil Twyford announced the development of three to 4,000 houses on Unitex grounds in Mount Albert. The development is the first major announcement under the government's KiwiBuild plans to build 100,000 houses over 10 years. The units will be 1 to 3 bedroom and will be a mix of those sold at market price, affordable and social housing.
7: Today really marks the end of the beginning. It's the moment when we, not only as a government but as a community, stand up and say, we're going to do things differently. The times come for change. We're going to build our way out of this housing crisis. It's not OK to have kids growing up in cars and garages. Yeah. Previous generations fixed these problems and so many places around the world have avoided these problems yeah. and now it's time for us to do the same.
1: The Housing Minister, Phil Twyford, says the partnership with eWE has been central to the development process and he plans to partner with local councils, the private sector and the community to address housing issues. But what will developments like this really mean for the community it looks to serve? An advocate of a kaupapa Māori response to housing is Te Matapihi, the National Māori Housing Advocacy Group. As we walk around the Unitex site, its chair, Ro Hoskins, who also lectures on Māori architecture on campus, had tips the new government for its openness to discussing housing options. But he cautions that it needs to meaningfully collaborate with iwi so that Māori and Pacifica can work towards home ownership. And that will take different approaches to ownership models.
8: What would be really important in this particular development is to be able to explore a range of equity building and shared equity programmes so that whānau that are lucky enough to be housed in the development can progressively build a stake in that community and not be social housing tenants for life, but can actually um, over time build equity and then from, from equity build stability and um, connectedness. And also, of course, the, the end um, result there is intergenerational stability and intergenerational wealth.
1: And making that work for Māori and Pacifica families requires imagination.
8: I think the key for this um, village is to, is to look at how you can integrate Fano and wider support systems into the design of the village insofar as uh, looking at intergenerational housing concepts and uh, making sure that uh, we don't just look at single household units as totally independent of their neighbours, that we hopefully will have a chance to promote uh, developments where an extended Fano, for instance, can actually take over the tenure of, you know, a one, a two, a three, and maybe a four-bedroom home in a complex that enables in-house support for childcare, for transportation, for um, food production, in a way that uh, Martin Pacific Fano have, in living memory, come from in terms of um, earlier lifestyles in the pacific and and in and rural parts of uh, the country.
1: Mr. Hoskins says Timatapihi's role is to make sure fano dynamics are discussed from the outset.
8: So that's that's our role is to is to make sure that we don't just keep doing the things we've done and expect different results uh, that we actually do acknowledge that we have a predominance of Maori pacific tenancies within social housing and that the dynamics in those fano are quite different often to Nuclear European households. So, yeah, I think we've got to get real about where we are in the world, where we are in the Pacific, and stop designing for nuclear whānau situations.
1: The Housing Minister, Phil Twyford, appears on board with new models of ownership.
7: With Māori and Pacific, there's also some really, there's a a very particular aspiration to uh, have, for instance, intergenerational living. You know, people where, where you can have your own independent living space but actually live around uh, our different generations um, and different parts of the same extended family. Well, um, we, we haven't really uh, developed and designed housing that meets those aspirations. So my hope is that um, with our ambitions with KiwiBuild and doing large-scale urban development projects, like the one that we announced at Unitech in Mount Albert, that... It's an opportunity when the government's playing a coordinating or master planning role to ensure that you don't just get this monoculture of McMansions, expensive three-, four-bedroom McMansions with two bathrooms, (laughs) that actually you get a really rich mix of the different kinds of housing that people want and obviously that they can afford. And I think within that, there are opportunities, particularly working with non-profit community housing providers and others, that we can provide this mix.
1: And is he open to changing the occupancy standards imported from Canada?
7: Yeah, why not? Why not look at those, be more flexible about it and consider those kind of options. Sounds very sensible to me.
1: Community providers echo calls for partnership, saying the government won't remedy the housing crisis alone, especially when it comes to matching the needs of Māori and Pacifica. In Mangari, a group made up of the Airedale Property Trust, the Methodist Church, and Titaha Māori Property Trust have built a housing development called Tumaya Kite Ao. The five houses sit along a driveway next to a preschool off busy Massey Road. The newly planted trees are yet to soften the imposing grey weatherboard and corrugated iron structures. Backyards almost as big as the houses opening onto them look cartoon-like as the teal-green hydro seed gets ready to sprout grass. In a matter of months, these homes will become the community for five families. Tumaya Kiteau has been developed for social housing tenants living in crowded, unstable or unsuitable accommodation. The group has built three two-bedroom homes and two with five bedrooms, the two house sizes most in demand for the area, according to the Ministry of Social Development. The chair of Te Taha Maori Trust, Ara Perangaha, says they saw a need in the community and figured they could help fill a gap. She says there is a lot to be gained from intergenerational living. Mum and Dad are usually so busy earning a living to keep the roof over the head and food on the table, that... They often
3: don't have the time to spend with the kids, whereas in the nanny generation, that's part of that role that they do.
1: The previous national-led government contributed $100,000 to the project and set up a scheme to supplement tenants' rent through income testing for 10 years. While Ms Ngaha believes fixing housing issues should lie primarily with the government, she also thinks that if communities want to help, that should be encouraged. The current government appears to be more willing to talk and think about doing things differently simply because what we've done hasn't worked. We've had nine years of a government and nothing much moved at all. So it would be good if we could keep the momentum going and
9: do more of this.
1: The Airdale Property Trust Manager Ratanis Sharma agrees.
9: I think this is a great win for the government in, in this instant because if you divide that 150,000, they have just given up front. If you divide that by the five houses and, and then over the 10-year term, it's actually you know such a small amount and for that we uh, are housing people that are waiting on the MSD housing list and we are housing them. And so it's a great win for the government.
1: He says developments like Unitec are needed, but the government needs to continue supporting community developments like Tumaya Te Ao.
9: On their own they are working with Housing New Zealand and are with, with the subsidies within that to solve the issue. What I'm saying is they can work with other com- local community housing providers and uh, together we can achieve probably better solutions uh, for uh, all the people involved. Uh, what the community housing providers and what the sector has is not only house people but the ongoing support. You know, once people, when clients move in, the ongoing support that is given, either it be through faith-based organisation, through churches or through the social services. So that continues and that what makes tenancies successful.
1: hurimuana Dennis of Te Marae says the conversation needs to spread beyond just putting up houses.
4: Bricks and mortar is the easy part, to be fair, and... and I'll say that with with touch wood and and a bit of caution. Um, But there's not a lot of focus on, well, okay we've got 10 lovely homes here. What 10 families are we putting in there and how long are they going to last and what do they bring to the neighbourhood? And I think that's something that's sort of been missing in this whole housing continuum in that it's all been focused on bricks and mortar. Because it's high volume, it's a good sell, you can go and touch it and open the doors and cut the ribbons and all of that sort of stuff. But there hasn't been a lot of thought in, well, actually, what what what's the character and the dynamics of the farmers that we're putting in there? And honestly, Eva, a lot of them have some high complex needs. So the impact on that is their, their tendencies become unsustainable within months because Dad has a drinking problem, Uh, Mum's gambling, the kids are off the the Richter scale, and things aren't aren't working uh, in the family dynamic. So what that normally results in is some form of warning, eviction, and homelessness. So until we see a good balance of the bricks and mortar and the soft stuff, we may not achieve much in terms of making these people, as, as you see there, manamotuhake. Uh, And we use that word because it is them being self-determining. They can pay their bills, kids are back at school, Um, and they become the the community members that they they really are.
1: The government, in its early days, has shown a willingness to consider alternative ownership models and the cultural needs of Pacifica and Māori communities. As it rolls out further housing development plans, those groups and their advocates will be keeping a careful eye on how collaboration and
0: innovation is managed. That programme was written and presented by Eva Collette. If you'd like to load up for some great listening, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight, iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, we hear from Todd Nile, who investigates the costs of upgrading Auckland's infrastructure, and who will pay. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight today. Do join us again next week.